Welcome to this episode of My Low Carb Life. I'm Keith McDaniel, and thanks for listening. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, then I want you to know that I've lost more than 130 pounds by living a low-carb lifestyle. Over the course of the past five years, I've had lots of comments and questions about how I lost my weight, so I decided to host a podcast talking about my weight loss journey and sharing some tips that have been helpful for me. And because I believe that all aspects of our lives affect the others, I also wanted this podcast to explore portions of our lives that have an impact on our weight and health in general. By the way, I'm not a doctor or medical professional. I'm just a guy who figured out a way to lose a lot of weight and keep it off. So if you're planning on starting any kind of weight loss or exercise program, please talk to your doctor to make sure that what you're planning is healthy and right for you. Later on in this podcast, I'm going to talk with an exercise scientist who is going to offer some realistic and practical advice for starting an exercise program in which will enhance your weight loss journey. Also, I'm going to share a couple of my favorite low-carb recipes. But to begin with, I've had several comments this week about folks who have struggled to keep a daily food journal. So I want to talk about why that is so important to weight loss and good health. One of the most important things you can do to stay on track with your new way of eating is to keep a daily food journal. With the exception of probably, oh, less than 10 days, I've kept a food journal every day since March 5th, 2016. That's more than 1,800 days. Simply put, a food journal is a list of everything you ate on a particular day and the nutritional value of each food. When I started... I just calculated net carbs and recorded those next to each food. But later on, I decided I wanted to go further, so in addition to net carbs, I counted calories, grams of protein, and grams of fat. Those are the four nutritional values I keep in my food journal to this very day. There are several reasons why keeping a food journal is important. First, if you don't know exactly the nutritional value of each food, it is easy to miscalculate. You're giving yourself a limit on the number of net carbs you consume each day. So recording those net carbs as you eat them throughout the day allows you to keep an ongoing tally. For example, if by dinner you have eaten 25 net carbs, then you know how many more net carbs you have for the remainder of the day. I personally try to eat about 50 net carbs a day. And uh, typically, I will eat somewhere around 15 to 20 net carbs throughout the day for breakfast and lunch and maybe a snack. So when dinner rolls around, I know I'll have about 30 to 35 net carbs I can consume and still keep within my limit. This allows me to have a nice dinner and even a snack after dinner should I choose to do so. As I mentioned earlier, you need to determine your daily carb intake from the beginning. It really is a balancing act. If you eat too few carbs, you'll be hungry, or at least that's what I discovered. And if you eat too many carbs, you won't lose weight. Uh, Through research and reading what others had written about how many carbs they consume each day, that led me to believe that 50 net carbs per day would work for me. And it has. Your daily net carb consumption may be different. You might have to experiment early on and find the right balance for you. 
The second reason for keeping a daily food journal is it holds you accountable for what you have eaten. Even if you eat something that you know you shouldn't be eating, go ahead and write that down and count the nutritional value. Now, I'm no scientist, but I believe it would be like a scientific study in that all the data is calculated to find the result, both the positive outcomes and the negative outcomes. And let's say you have a week where you didn't lose weight, or perhaps you maybe even gained a little weight. You can go back and examine what you ate that week and adjust your eating plan accordingly for the future. Being honest with yourself is so very important when you're attempting to lose weight. So, be brutally honest in recording your daily food intake. Another reason you should keep a daily food journal is because it becomes your own little reference book. The reality of a low-carb eating plan is that you'll find things that you like to eat and you will eat them over and over again. Or you might find a certain dish that you'll occasionally make. There's no need to research or look on the nutritional panel on the food packaging every time. You can simply refer back to the last time you ate that particular food and record it in your journal again. After a while, much of that info will be committed to memory, but not all of it. And having a handy reference is very convenient, and it makes keeping your daily food journal simple and easy. You may wonder, what does a food journal look like, or what is it supposed to look like? Well, to be honest, it can be anything. I have found that what works for me is a small 7 by 5 inch spiral bound notebook. You can order them online or pick them up at most office supply stores. The ones I purchase, I order from Amazon, and they have 100 sheets each. And I usually order them in packs of three, which will last me almost an entire year, and it's only a few dollars. An added bonus is that I use the last page of each spiral notebook to record my weekly weight. That allows me to keep everything in one place, and it's very easy to carry with me whether I'm at work or at home. For those of you who are more digitally inclined, there's no reason you couldn't keep your food journal on your computer or even on your tablet or phone. I guess I'm a bit old school because I like to write things down, whether it's my to-do list for the day or my daily food journal. There's something about putting pen to paper that makes it work for me. And as you're doing your food journal, remember, the more weight you have to lose and the stricter you are following your eating plan, the faster the weight will come off. Once you start getting close to your goal weight, it will invariably slow down and, and maybe even stop for a bit. But don't be discouraged. Just refer back to your weekly weight chart to see what progress you have made. Nothing motivates like success, and seeing how far you have come will give you that added boost to keep going and reach your ultimate weight loss goal. So, I hope that information will help you uh, to keep that all-important daily food journal. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Now I want to uh, share an interview that I did this past week with exercise scientist Dr. Greg Stanley. Greg, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, to be with me today. Thank you for having me. Um, so you are Dr. Greg Stanley, but just so people know, you're not an MD. You're a, a PhD, I guess, or a, or 
And, uh, and I call you an exercise scientist because I think that's, that's a good explanation of, of who you are and what you do. So tell us, how do you become an exercise scientist and what does that really involve? Sure. Uh, several ways to get to this point. One is obviously you need to have a joy and or interest in human movement. Uh, it would be challenging to study exercise if you didn't enjoy it. Uh, undergrad, master's, and doctorate level, uh, you're basically looking at how exercise or physical activity makes physiological changes on the human body, whether it be sports performance enhancement or you're just working to enhance your ability to perform activities of daily living. Just tell me from a basic standpoint, you know, everybody's been told, we've all been told our whole lives, you know, to get exercise, to be exercise, you know, to be active and things such as that. What is it that exercise does, does to our bodies from a physiological standpoint? Sure. Well, honestly, there's a, a plethora of different things that can happen, but just looking at it from a, a longevity standpoint, our bodies are designed to move. So uh, the more activity you can do, the threshold is now 10,000 steps. And that's been that way for what, 20 years, something like that. Yeah, That's the minimal amount of steps seen through research that would have a positive uh, health effect on you, whether that be possibly lowering blood pressure, uh, lowering cholesterol, uh, decreasing blood glucose, helping weight maintenance. But again, that's just the minimum where individuals will see a positive improvement in some aspect of their health. Uh, if you're getting to the upper range of 18 to 20,000 steps per day average, uh, then as you progress up in improving the volume of activity, whether it be physical activity or structured exercise, uh, health benefits improve. So it could further reduce your blood pressure to the point where you no longer need medication if you were on medication or could possibly assist in weight loss, getting you to uh, within the healthy weight range for your frame size. That could also assist in lowering uh, insulin or other uh, diabetic medications and or getting it to the point to where you may no longer need it, depending on the severity of the diabetes the individual has. Uh, but there is also a threshold of doing too much exercise doesn't continually, you, you don't continue to reap a benefit by doing more and more and more and more in terms of volume or uh, intensity. So a threshold of 10,000 being the minimum. And then you're looking at um, the studies done on the Amish. Amish males average around 20,000 a day. And that's usually considered a peak for average individuals, those who aren't training for a particular event or sport or something of that nature. Why does exercise have an effect on our, on our body other than just, you know, strengthening us, I guess? Sure. Uh, well, one is uh, through movement, our, our metabolic rate is altered or adjusted. So metabolism being uh, the amount of energy we consume and then um, transformed into mechanical energy we use for activity or to uh, replenish energy stores. So through movement, we help to possibly enhance our metabolic rate to offset whatever uh, food that we ingest or drink. Obviously, I know this isn't a diet focus, but as you know, first world Americans and other first world countries, we eat way more than we should mm -hmm. with the plethora and abundance of uh, 
calorically dense, nutritionally poor food. Exercise is a way to assist with that. It obviously isn't the only means. You can't exercise away a bad diet. Uh, but exercise helps, for example, from a glucose standpoint. Uh, there are small receptors inside the vessels called GLUT4 receptors, and they will basically act as gatekeepers. They open and close, allowing glucose to be absorbed into the cell oxidized and thus lowering the blood sugar levels in the individual's uh, system. Uh, sim similar effect as insulin has. However, you don't have to uh, either your pancreas produce more insulin or the individual has to uh, supplement um, insulin uh, from a needle mm -hmm. to reduce glucose. It's just being physically active and that's irregardless of the intensity. That's just up and moving and carrying your body through time and space. So that's where uh, steps came in 20, 25 years ago, whatever that was, as a means to monitor one, pedometers were in their infancy at that time. And you're carrying your body through time and space, which also helps bone mineral density. People think when they hear strengthening your bones, you have to lift weights and all that, which, yes, that will assist. But your body itself carrying it, the muscles having to work in the skeletal system working to carry your body, whatever the mass is through time and space is strengthening in and of itself. So as opposed to a seated activity, unless the individual has a history of, you know, hip knee, lower back. Yeah, like sure. That. So what you're saying is that through exercise, your body kind of, I don't want to say regenerates healthy tissue or, or regenerate or, or improves, improves healthy, the healthy tissue that's in your body. Is that correct? Yes and no. I will say there's a healthy tissue and an unhealthy tissue. People hear the word fat and that's automatically like the ultimate mortal sin. Uh -huh. Your body needs fat. It acts as an insulator to help uh, in temperature regulation as well as a, a shock absorber was it protects the internal organs. Obviously an overabundance of that is bad. So saying exercise promotes healthy tissue wouldn't be correct because fat is also healthy tissue, a certain percentage. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps promote tissue growth, regeneration, as well as uh, oxidizing or using energy substrates, which is carbs, fats, proteins that's uh, within the body. It helps us to use the stored energy we have efficiently and effectively. Right. So the body is designed to move. It's not designed to sit for long periods of time. Uh, and with that, you get reductions in blood flow to the extremities, typically the, the feet and ankle if we're sitting a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the stimulation of activity, load bearing, like walking, for example, helps promote circulation through all the extremities to help replenish regrow, rebuild, and or remove byproducts that need to be removed from uh, those extremities, which unfortunately things will sit and build up it, with the lack of blood flow. I would imagine that exercise, that everybody should get some form of exercise, no matter how old you are, no matter what your weight is. Uh, I would imagine that and but there may be some people that have to to structure exercise a certain way because of maybe some physical limitations or some disease or things such as that. Absolutely, and you have to work around 
the individual's uh, abilities and physical or cognitive challenges or equipment and environment challenges. Yeah. So when I was working in a behavioral and surgical weight loss center, um, individuals' goals could range from I lose X amount of weight to I'm training for a marathon or I'm unable to bathe and I want to be able to stand and bathe and shower on my own. So we look at their performance standards and one is to stand and shower independently Mm -hmm. in terms of I need the strength, uh, the muscular coordination, the cardiovascular endurance to shower compared to an individual who would train for a marathon. And I was able to work with individuals on both ends of the spectrum. So how do you get to those points? Well, it's an individual based activity by looking at what they have available to them in terms of equipment or environment Mm -hmm. and um, how willing are they to take those steps to make those positive changes? It can be simple as if you wanted to do strength training, you you have canned goods at home in your cupboard. Mm-hmm. You could use those as resistance. Your muscles don't have eyes and ears. Mm-hmm. You know, five pounds is five pounds. It doesn't matter. Um, but yes, across the age and physical spectrum, exercise is beneficial. Even the what's considered the oldest old, so you have 85 and older, mm-hmm. um, those who may have never really exercised throughout their life up until um, their later years, still see an improvement in physical uh, ability mm-hmm. as well as independence. Cause the whole goal is health, wellness, longevity to maintain your, your physical independence. One thing that I was going to ask you about, I want to go back to real quick before we move on mm-hmm. is you talked about meta- metabolism before and right. my understanding, and I could be wrong cause I'm not a doctor and I don't know That's very okay. much about these things is your metabolism, overall, universally, I guess your metabolism changes maybe in your late 20s to early 30s. Is that typical uh, for people that, I mean, let's say they're, they're not an exercise person. So they're not, you know, they're not um, uh, affecting their metabolism, but just from, from age, your metabolism maybe slows down a little bit. It alters. It's usually around uh, late to mid forties. Okay. And it isn't so much that uh, it's your age, you know, that immediate, that whatever the number is. And then there's a steep decline because you're X, Y, Z age. Now it's typically because our uh, daily, weekly physical activity decreases as we get older because our familial and work responsibilities continue to increase and thus exercise or taking care of ourselves physically gets pushed farther down on the priority list. That tends to be the real issue. There are some uh, small percentage decreases in your metabolism, even for those who continue to exercise regularly throughout each stage of life. Yeah. Uh, But by regular uh, weekly exercise participation, you can greatly reduce the percentage that you see a drop in metabolism. So right. you can help affect it through your lifestyle choices. Okay. So let's say we've got someone who, let's say they're 40, 50, in their 50s, 40s, 50s, middle age. Okay. Sure. And they've never really exercised before. They might have done some exercise when they were young, you know, in their younger days, uh, we're more active. And like you said, now life has happened and they've got work responsibilities. They've got family responsibilities, but, and they probably, they're probably carrying a few too many extra pounds. How, what would you recommend for someone like that to kind of, what would be their goal generally 
And how would they go about maybe achieving that goal? Do they need to join a gym? Do they need to walk every day? What, what, sure. what is some advice that you would have for them? Perfect. It's funny you said this. Uh, uh, my parents are obviously older than the example you gave, but I'm just working with them currently on this. They both have recently retired and now want to get back into activity. They're in their early to mid 60s. Uh, the concept's the same for them uh, as it would be for the hypothetical individual. Uh-huh. Uh, first is setting up a daily routine and a time you schedule in your day, whatever your schedule allows, whether early morning, lunch, afternoon, you set a time to do your exercise. So whether you decide to do strength, you decide to do cardio, a combination thereof, that's up to you. But you have to schedule time to do it. It doesn't have to be an hour or two hours or some ridiculous continuous long periods of time. It could be three bouts of 10 minutes. So the goal could be working a minimum of 30 minutes, depending Mm -hmm. on your fitness level. So we'll say a novice, 30 minutes is my goal per day. And that could be bouts of uh, three bouts of 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that could be simply walking. Uh, I could park farther in uh, from the entry door to my office. So I have to get extra steps that way, or I take the stairs as opposed to the elevator, assuming I don't have any hip, knee, ankle, lower back problems or anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are simple ways. I would do that for four to six weeks, slowly incorporating. So if I'm doing 30 minutes a day on top of my other physical activity, I should be getting pretty close to that 10,000 minimum threshold with my steps. Uh, after four to six weeks of now I've got a routine and I'm committed. Now I want to start adding in something else, whether I'm um, increasing my steps to 12,000, 15,000, whatever the um, percentage of progression individual wants, Mm -hmm. or maybe I can add in 15 extra minutes of walking, cycling, swimming, hiking, but you, you fill in the blank. Uh, The ultimate goal would be after three to four months of doing whatever you can at home, Uh, working for at least an hour, then possibly progressing to a gym facility unless you want to buy equipment to have at your house. Again, that's up to you and you don't want to have that monetary expense of a gym membership. Uh, You can buy home items for strengthening and such that are relatively inexpensive. So if I recommend a TRX strengthening band, they run about $200, $250. That seems expensive, but if you compare that to uh, the amount of money you spend one year on a gym membership is uh, significantly less. Yeah. And that can, tr- the TRX band, for example, can easily travel with you on your vacations. It just rolls up in a small little bag um, or at your house or your office or wherever you decide to do it. So there are definitely a, a multitude of ways to incorporate, but start for a goal of 30 minutes. And again, it doesn't have to be continuous. And then progress working to an ultimate would be an hour of physical activity throughout the day. So there's guidelines that were established in 2008, the uh, physical activity guidelines for Americans. They were recently updated just a few years ago as well. Uh, And I can send you this via email just so you can have it. Uh, But it definitely goes through each age uh, range and life from uh, uh, children to middle age and older adults and gives all kinds of recommendations of how to incorporate more physical activity or structured exercise. On a so, so you would recommend someone if they're just starting out is to, is to walk if, if they can, I mean, you know, that's easy. Walk. We're that's- trying to minimize because we all resist change, right? We're yeah. all resistant to it. So I want to, as we transition through the change uh, stages of change, uh, I want to help them be as successful as possible. And if they can schedule it and walk, 
assuming they don't have any physical abnormalities, and then progress from there. Um, unless they have a specific goal and objective in mind that, you know, in 12 months, I want to be here competing in this event. Well, then, you know, the steps would be a little different, but if you're sure. just wanting to be more physically active, walking 30 minutes a day or cycling or whatever other means of cardiovascular activity you have, that would be best instead of trying to make, you know, multiple changes all within the first month and yeah. most people tend to quit. So right. that they won't do it. It's too much change at one time. You know, it was interesting last, uh, I guess probably about a year and a half ago. Um, I ended up with, uh, I was teaching my first class of the semester and I was sitting in class and, and I just sat there and talked the whole time to my students. And when I went to stand up, it was like someone had nailed my right foot to the floor. It was completely oh and totally dead. I could not move it. And I said, I was like, well, you know, I've, I've sat wrong in this chair or something. I've, you know, stopped the blood flow. But, um, it, it, I mean, this lasted for several hours. And uh, it's a long story. I won't go into everything. Um, but by the time I got home, this was like five hours later, it was still pretty numb. And um, my wife, I told my wife about it. And she said, you don't think you had a stroke, do you? And I was like, well, I don't think so. I don't think I had any of those other <laughs> symptoms. So yeah. I go and Googled it. And sure enough, one of the signs of a stroke is, you know, a numb foot. Um, sure. So I go to the I go to the ER just for safety's sake. And and sure. uh, they said, no, you didn't have a stroke. They think it's something to have to do with my back. So I did go to a, an orthopedic doctor and he, he did an MRI of my spine and discovered that I did have a cyst on my spine, which was pressing up against the nerve, my spinal column, which was causing that foot to go numb. So he, you know, there was no surgery required, but um, he, you know, he, he gave me, I did physical therapy. And then he said, really the best thing for you to do, he says, you need to strengthen your core. He said, your mm -hmm. back muscles need to be strengthened. He said, because of your arthritis and the conditions you have in your spine, which are kind of genetic with me, um, he said, that's the best thing you can do. So this was after I'd lost a lot of my weight, most of my weight. And so sure. I said, well, we've got a new gym in town in Oak Ridge. That's, you know, it wasn't very expensive to join. And uh, I said, I'm going to make a commitment to at least go Saturdays and Sundays and then try to go one day during the week. And, uh, so I did, and I started it and I would do about 30 minutes on a treadmill and then I would do five to seven, you know, machines for weightlifting. It took me about an hour and I really got to the point where I really looked forward to that. And I'd never been an exerciser before. I mean, you know, in any kind of structured way, sure. it just made me feel better. So how, wh why was that? Why? not only the emotional part, but I guess physiologically it does something to you to exercise as far as your mental state. Well, absolutely. And we didn't even really go into that uh, earlier, but the psychological benefits. So uh, after running it, they usually call it a euphoria They're called runner's high. Uh -huh. So uh, there are different hormones that get released during an exercise, regardless of running, swimming, cycling, weight training, whatever it is you do. Uh, and those are what's called um, endorphins are one of them. 
uh, and they refer to it as the feel-good hormones. So how our brain interprets these hormones is it gives us a more positive, upbeat feeling um, in terms of self-confidence or self-efficacy. One is you performed a task that you may or may not have really wanted to do, but you pushed yourself to persevere and complete your strength training or cardio, whatever it was. So then you have that personal, I've checked that off my list in conjunction with the physiological uh, hormones that are being secreted post-workout as your body's recovering. Uh, so it, it's a combination of both physiological and, and psychological, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and now you've committed. So you, you basically did what, what I was recommending and what the uh, physical activity guidelines recommend, uh, three to five days a week uh, for minimum 30 minutes, progressing up to an hour. Uh, yeah. If you want to do more than an hour, that's fine if you're training for a particular event. But most of the time, people that uh, if you start out and you're trying to do more than an hour, the um, likelihood of you maintaining the program, whatever it is you decide to do, significantly drops. So 50% reduction in people staying with the program if they try to start out doing an hour or more. Right. So that's why the progression starts at a half hour. Right. The uh, yeah, and 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 to continue my story, I did it. I, this was last fall, and I and I did this for several months, and I really really enjoyed it. I would go early in the morning where there, when there wasn't a lot of people at the gym and, um, and then COVID hit, you know, and uh, everything got shut down. Even yeah. the gym, it was shut down for a while. Um, and I've not gone back. I fully intend to, um, uh, I guess I can now after I've had COVID, I had COVID in December, but, um, but I survived. What about, and you talked a little bit about this, about senior adults, no matter how, how old you are, there's a, there's something that you can do to, sure. to make yourself not only feel better physically, but feel better emotionally and psychologically as well. So how do you, how do you commit to that? I mean, what, what does it take to make a commitment to do that? One, say, I'll use my, my parents' uh -huh. age cohort again, uh, early to mid-60s, is uh, now that both are retired, they no longer have that camaraderie of um, coworkers that they would see, you know, multiple days a week for X amount of hours. Uh, and you know, my sister or my sister and I are obviously older, and they're just there by themselves. So right. they need to make this commitment together, obviously from an emotional standpoint as well as a physical longevity health standpoint. And then they're not at the stage yet where they're ready to transition to a gym facility. They're still only working week five or six. So right, right. Uh, it'd probably be mid mid of the year before they would commit, but I'm trying to help them understand as they progress through that the communal aspect because people enjoy the community aspect, whether the community being your immediate family or your larger community of your city, your county, your institution. We work out with Carson Newman. We talk about community and family there. You need that and want that. And you miss that now that you're retired and you're pulled away from that. So the gym could be another means of them to establish um, that communal aspect if they want it. Uh, the facility yeah. we go to, it, it's family focused. So it's not just a 24-7 type place where you just go in and get out. They offer multiple um, group fitness classes and there's a wide range of age that go there. So it's not really for the young kids. It's typically thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and beyond. It's more uh, family focused. 
if that yeah. makes sense. So they could transition to that as well as the church functions that, you know, they yeah. want to be involved with their specific church. And I would imagine that that's even more important for someone who's trying to lose weight, um, to have a sense of community, Absolutely. to have a, a, a support system, uh, rather than feeling like you're, you know, you're out there by yourself trying to fight this dragon, you know? Well, exactly. So the support going through the, you know, a significant lifestyle change of losing weight, obviously you need that support and you also need the accountability because will your individual will carry you, you know, probably a long way, but you're going to fall at some point and you need someone, at least one person there to help pick you up and, or help get you back on track if you're starting to fall off the wagon, so to speak. Uh, and, and then it works both ways. So tit for tat, you're helping her, she's helping you vice versa for long-term success. So the biggest challenge with weight loss, and you were talking about this, um, the first year is usually when they lose the weight and they're all having, you know, super awesome success. It's usually year five. What do you, what have you, so you've moved from year one, we've successful year two, we're building upon that. You might lose another few pounds, whatever your ultimate goal is. Mm -hmm. So fast forward five years down the road from when you started the journey, and that's the real test because you don't want to have a relapse back into old habits, which we are all guilty of doing, even though it's been, you know, X amount of months yeah. since you've done that. It's still easy to fall back into that without that support structure at home. Sure. Well, you know, that's that's really interesting that you would say that because March 5th will be my five year anniversary from when I started. Oh. When Perfect. I started started uh, my 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 weight loss journey, and and this is called you know this podcast is my low carb life, and and it's sure. not really to promote a low carb diet. It's it's just sure. to promote you know I know there's lots of different ways that people can lose weight, and this is just the way that I did mine. Um, but one thing that I did in in that's good for me to hear because you know it, it makes me kind of double down this year and make sure that I'm going to. Sure stay with what I'm doing. And one of the things that I've said before is when I changed the way that I ate, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I made a commitment. I said, you know, I said to some degree or the other, I said, I'm going to treat this like I've got diabetes. And mm -hmm. the fact that to some degree of the, or the other, I feel like I'm going to have to probably do this the rest of my life to sure. some degree or the other. Uh, otherwise I'll just go back to the old habits and, and, uh, and gained weight back. So, and if I can, and if I can add on the exercise component and make that a, a habit of something that I not only is good for me, but enjoy, then that will help me, help me stick with my eating plan that I've got as well. They, lack of a better term, they feed off each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you are correct. So first of all, congratulations on the upcoming five-year anniversary here in March. That's awesome news. Uh, but it is truly when, when uh, the physician or registered dietitian, whomever it is you're talking to, says it's a true lifestyle change, it, it's a long-term change. It's not just something I do for three, six, 12, 36 months, and then I re revert right back to what I was doing previously. Well, you saw the results that were received with the previous lifestyle choices. Well, yeah. it's not going to be, it won't be any different. That, that, yeah. That's the one challenge that I always found it difficult working at the behavioral surgical weight loss center is people thought it was just like a quick short term, you know, two year fix and I'm good. And that's, it's like, no, this is long term the rest of your life. Like you've got to make, 
yeah positive health choices big or small every day you you make the choice breakfast lunch dinner whatever it is uh, whether you're aware of it and it definitely is a, a long-term decision so helping someone commit to that because you, you feel good you, you didn't even know you could feel this good beforehand it's exactly you didn't right know. so it's, exactly it, it's hard for me to tell you it's going to feel great well you've never felt this way before so me telling you it's almost like empty words until you actually make the change and experience it yourself. All right. Well, Dr. Greg Stanley, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Keith. Have a great day. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Stanley, for uh, being with us and and providing that great information. Now I've got a couple of recipes. Uh, These are easy recipes that I wanted to share this week. Uh, they're, They're fairly brief, and that's the reason I chose two. The first one is a low-carb, easy, cheesy meatball, and this couldn't be simpler. Uh, The ingredients include one pound of ground beef, and I usually use a 90-10 ground beef, one egg, one cup of shredded mozzarella cheese, or really any kind of cheese, and one tablespoon of Italian seasoning. This is so simple. All you do is you take a large bowl and you mix all the ingredients together. You know, you just squish it up with your hands, you get it all mixed together, and then you separate the mixture into 16 balls. Uh, They're probably going to be about the size of a golf ball, maybe a little bit smaller. You place them on a a non-stick baking sheet or a baking sheet with uh, parchment paper on it, and you bake at 350 degrees for 18 to 20 minutes. And that's it. That's all you do. And you come out with these really great cheesy meatballs. Um, You know, typically it'll it'll make about 16 of the small meatballs, uh, which is one ounce per meatball. And so if you eat four of those, that would be a serving. Um, Your net carbs are going to be about two because really the only thing that's in there that has any carbs is your cheese. Uh, your calories are going to be around 400, um, and so it's about 100 calories per meatball. Your protein is around 20, and your fat is going to be about 35. So that is a really good ratio of protein, fat, carbs, and calories for that. Another thing that you could do is uh, you could take some mushrooms and chop those up really fine and put sw- and use Swiss cheese and mix it all together, and then you kind of have a mushroom Swiss meatball. Um, usually, I just eat them plain. Uh, I don't normally put sauce on it, but if you had some low-carb uh, spaghetti sauce, you could use that as well. So, low-carb, easy, cheesy meatballs. I told you that would be very easy. My second recipe for this week is something that just really satisfies me. One of the things that I miss about eating low-carb is... Uh, you know, Asian food, uh, Japanese, Chinese food, um, you know, they, th- those noodles are so good and the rice is so good and, and everything is so good. But I used to love to eat egg rolls. Um, and egg rolls are, are, are delicious. Let's just face it. Egg rolls are delicious. Well, I can't eat the egg roll anymore simply because of the wrapping that the egg roll um, ingredients go into because Typically, they're full of carbs. So, so the, the thing that I discovered is a recipe called egg roll in a bowl. And basically, what you're doing is you're creating the filling of an egg roll, 
and just eating it in a bowl without the, without the wrapping. So the ingredients for egg roll in a bowl include one pound of ground sausage, or you could use a combination of sausage and ground beef or ground pork or whatever you would want. Two bags of coleslaw mix, and coleslaw mix is basically just shredded cabbage with, sometimes it has some carrots in it and things such as that. Two tablespoons of low-sodium soy sauce. Um, You can add some ginger if you want to, one tablespoon of ginger, one teaspoon of garlic powder, and a half a cup of cut-up green onions. The first thing you do is you cook the sausage or the meat, uh, stirring it and crumbling it until it's cooked through. Then you stir in the coleslaw mix, the garlic, the ginger, the soy sauce, and stir. Everything except the onions. You cook that in the skillet. And I like mine a little crunchy, so I don't cook it down all the way. Uh, But you can, if you want your cabbage kind of a, a limp, then that's fine. Just cook it to the way you like it. And then once you, uh, once you cook it that way, you just dish it out and top it with some green onions. And if you want to drizzle a little more, source, a little more soy sauce on it, you can do that. Um, this recipe that I just described, it will serve six. It's not a big serving, but it serves six. Uh, the net carbs are seven. Uh, the calories are, is about 240. Your protein is nine and your fat is 18. So that's a, that is a great substitute. And it also is a great way to mix things up throughout the week. Sometimes we get in the habit of eating the kind of the same thing over and over. And you want something different every once in a while. So, so egg roll in a bowl, easy cheesy meatballs are both great. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Greg Stanley, for sharing his expertise with us. Uh, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, and uh, I've decided that we will be publishing new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of each month. So write that down in your calendar if you want to, the first and third Tuesday of each month. And be sure to like or subscribe to this podcast where you're listening. I'm sure we'll be expanding our reach in the coming weeks, but now you can you can find it just about anywhere that, you, that has podcasts. Uh, or you can Google Low Carb Keith to find us. Or visit uh, anchor.fm slash lowcarbkeith. Also, if you have questions or topics you would like for me to address on the podcast, or if you have a success story of your own about low-carb living, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at lowcarbkeith at gmail.com. That's one word, lowcarbkeith at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me on this journey, and hopefully you'll find something in these stories that will inspire, motivate, and educate you to do something that will improve your health and your quality of life for the rest of your life. This is Keith McDaniel, Living My Low-Carb Life.